0: Well, hello there, my friend, and welcome to today's episode of Seven Figure Millennials, where together you and I are choosing to play the game a little bit differently. We are choosing, we are committing to prioritizing our happiness, health, and relationships while we build a business that creates a meaningful impact in the lives of the people that we love and generating the wealth for us to design a beautiful life on our terms. And if you are here either as a first time listener or a seasoned listener, and you're hanging out with us every single week, I just want to tell you again how much I love you, how much I appreciate you for showing up today and investing in yourself to expand and grow. Every single week, I'm interviewing incredible humans making a massive impact in the world so that it can support you in doing exactly the same. And today, I'm so excited to introduce you to a friend of mine, Patty Block. And in this episode, you're gonna learn so much, but I want you to look out for three specific things. Number one, what the broken cookie effect is and how it might be holding you back Without you even realizing it. Number two, how to uncover what your hidden advantage is that will help you to build a business that is in alignment with your values and what you love. And number three, why Patty believes that everything in your business flows from pricing. So you may be wondering at this point, who is Patty Black? Well, let me read her bio, but it starts with a question Have you found your hidden advantage? Well, Pricing expert, Patty Block believes that consistent business success comes from leveraging your hidden advantage, making informed decisions, communicating powerfully, and taking calculated action. Since 2006, Patty has empowered women business owners who are experts in their fields to turn up their power to price sell and run their business on their own terms. In her book, Your Hidden Advantage, Unlock the Power to Attract Right Fit Clients and Boost Your Revenue, Patty reveals a new perspective and proven practical solutions, guiding women to unleash their inner power to run their business with less stress and more joy, achieving a more profitable future. Patty considers herself a native Texan. Even though she wasn't born there, she got to Texas as fast as she could at age four (laughs) and is based in Houston. Patty raised three wonderful humans who all caught the entrepreneurial bug and have their own successful business. Patty's passion and experience as a business advisor and owner, lobbyist, political consultant, and nonprofit executive comes full circle as she turns roadblocks into building blocks for women-owned business. I'm so excited to introduce you to Patty because Patty and I have actually been thought partners in a mastermind group that was put together by our mutual friend, Michael Roderick. So I've actually gotten to know Patty uh, pretty pretty well over the past few months as we've helped each other develop our concepts. There's actually a concept in her book that I, I named and labeled and came up with the idea for. So it was super cool to see that happen. Uh, but above all, I just am super excited to introduce you to Patty because she has such a massive heart. She is such a kind... An incredible human being, and she just is so passionate about serving women at the highest level and helping them to overcome their overcome their roadblocks and really create a massive impact in the world. so, Um, the only thing that I will say on top of this is yes, Patty's message is designed to serve women specifically, but I read the book and found so much value in it. And Patty chooses to work specifically with women, but of course, all the concepts apply to anyone and they're super, super impactful. And I highly recommend that you check out Patty's new book, but you'll be hearing a lot about that in the episode. So with all that said, please enjoy this conversation with my friend, Patty Block. You and I are on a mission to find out, and we have an incredible journey ahead of us. My name is Brandon Fong, and welcome to the 7 Figure Millennials Podcast. Hattie Block, welcome to the show. Super excited to have you here. This is going to be so much fun, and as we were just saying, this is an excuse for some friends to connect and get to know each other on a deeper level. So welcome, super excited to have you here.
1: <laughs> Thank you. I'm so glad to be here.
0: Yeah, of course. So it's funny because I was just saying, like, I've heard your stories. You know, we've we've spent a decent amount of time together over the past few months as a as a shout out to Michael Roderick and some of the groups that he's been a part of. So I've heard bits and pieces of the stories, but I had so much fun going through your book and seeing the full context. And so now I get to pick it apart and share it with with my audience today. And so I thought a, a fun place to start. I want to get into the broken cookie effect, but before we get into that, I want to talk a little bit about your mom. And I know that this is uh, this is a really soft spot in your in your heart because you kind of dedicated a lot of the book to to her and my favorite part favorite story in the book about your mom took place at Burning Man. Um so I would, I would love for you to share a little bit about August 2014 your mom goes to Burning Man for the first time and explain a little bit about what happened and maybe some context around Burning Man just in case there's a few people that don't know what that is.
1: <laughs> sure. And I'll start by saying that my mom passed away in September of 2022. Mm-hmm. And very suddenly, she wasn't ill. She wasn't even that old. She was 83. And so it was a shock. And I've been her primary caregiver, both for her and my dad, for the past 20 years. And so it really has been uh, turning my world upside down. Mm. And, um, and, of course, a lot of sadness. And um, so that's to preface. So I wrote the book before my mom died. And all of the stories I told were in present tense and the acknowledgement to her and all yeah. of that was in present tense. And then I had to go back and put it in past tense. Mm. And that that's a difficult thing. If you've ever lost a parent, it's, it's an experience like none other. Yeah. Uh, so I wanted to mention that.
0: Well, let me um, let me just add before you dive in. Like I think it's a beautiful as sad as it is and I know you uh, you've been navigating this and you've been you've been a, you've been incredible going through this whole thing, but it's so cool that this gets to showcase your mom. And you know, it's it's a, it's a tribute to her. So like there's lots of beauty in this as well if you look at it from that perspective, which I think is super cool because you get to tell her stories in a different and bigger way, which is amazing.
1: Yes. And the thing that's so sad for me is she was so excited about my writing this book. Mm. And of course, never got to see it. So, um, and that's sad for me too, because she was certainly my biggest cheerleader. Hmm. So, 2014, my dad had passed away the year before. They met when my mom was 16. My dad was, I think, 23 or 24. And uh, they got married when she was 19, excuse me, 18. And then she had her first kid at 19. So, her entire life, she had been with my dad. And He was uh, forced to be reckoned with, I have to say. (laughs) So um, he had died in 2013. And she was really struggling to learn to make her own decisions, to figure out. Uh, She had been his main caregiver for years. And so what was next for her? My sister has been a lifelong burner. And if you're not familiar with Burning Man, it is a um, once a year festival is how it started out in the black rock desert in Nevada. And it's usually, I think it's in August and September over labor day of, um, of every year and they have a gift economy. So it's really designed for artists and musicians. And my sister has been involved in that community for over 20 years. And she had been talking to my mom about going to burning man. But again, at that time, It was very avant-garde and older people typically didn't go. Mm -hmm. So it was a very unusual decision for her, but she was, my mom was so excited about it. And she said it was a life-changing experience. So when she was at Burning Man, people will give you nicknames. And again, it's a gift economy. So there's no money exchanged and there are, um, Tenants that they follow, like uh, making sure everything is cleaned up once they leave and sharing whatever they have with others without expecting anything in return. So my mom was just all over this. She loved it and couldn't go to sleep at night because she wanted to experience everything. And when they got to the playa, which is the main congregation place at Burning Man, her gift was a card that she would give people that says, the only thing that multiplies when you divide it is love.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: And she had lived by that her whole life. So her gift was the card and a ginger snap cookie. And she had bought these giant tins of Swedish ginger snaps. So as she was handing these out, she got her nickname, which was Little Miss Ginger Snap. Mm-hmm. As I started developing the broken cookie effect, which we'll talk about, and which also is a story about my mom, um, as I started developing some of these concepts and realized that I was going to start writing a book and I wanted to share this message, especially with women business owners, Ginger Snap started to fit into that picture. And that's where the Snap model comes from is Ginger Snap. And a lot of what my mom experienced at Burning Man that she brought back with her, she then was, she shared that card with her motto on it for the rest of her life with anyone she met. And that was my mom. She was, I don't know anyone who didn't love her. Mm -hmm. And many people felt adopted by her. So she was one of those people that never met a stranger.
0: It's so beautiful. I have like ridiculous amounts of chills. Uh, That's always like a good sign for me is when I hear something, but like, oh man, I don't really even know what to say. When I saw that quote, love is the only thing that multiplies when divided, like, like, man, that is just so beautiful. And I can just picture your mom and the way that you've described her to me in the past is like always wearing colorful stuff and just being like super happy and just giving. And I can just imagine an interaction with, Ginger snap at Burning Man, even though I've never been. Like, what, 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 what that would be like to 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 get that card and to get a ginger snap cookie. Uh, the feeling that that must have evoked in people must have just been incredible. So that's so beautiful. And and you kind of alluded to a bunch of other things as as you were talking, but you know, in your book, you kind of build on this theme of cookies because that was like about your mom, and you kind of have like ginger snaps throughout to kind of highlight the different key takeaways inside of the book which I thought was super cool and a nice hat tip to your mom but you alluded to and I kind of spoke to it earlier about the broken cookie effect like you said was also inspired by your mom. So now that people have a little bit of context about who your mom was a little bit beyond it we'd love for you to share a little bit about what the broken cookie effect was.
1: When I was growing up, my mom made these fabulous cookies. The whole house smelled good, it was warm, the cookies were gooey, and all my life I watched my mom eat the broken cookies. But it wasn't until I was a teenager that I even thought to ask her, why do you only eat the broken cookies? Do they taste better? And she laughed and said, no, I eat the broken cookies so you can have the whole ones. And not too long ago, I saw this really shocking statistic. 62% of women rely on their business for their primary income. And 88% of women business owners make less than $100,000 a year. And all of a sudden, this image of my mom eating the broken cookies popped in my head. And I realized that's the pattern that I have been seeing all these years. I started my company in 2006. And as I've worked with many, many women business owners, I've seen this pattern, but I didn't have language around it until that image of my mom eating the broken cookies popped in my head. And I realized that's what we as women business owners that's what we do. We bring that spirit of self-sacrifice into our businesses. We undervalue ourselves. We underprice our services, and then we over-deliver. So our profit goes poof, and everybody else gets the whole cookie, and we end up living on crumbs. So that is what I call the broken cookie effect. It's very pervasive because As girls, as women, we were raised with our role models who were always putting others first. And that's lovely. However, there's a toll to pay. And that's what a lot of women see inside their businesses is they're not really profitable. And it's a frustration and an underlying theme that often makes people feel unfulfilled by their business. And it feels like more of a burden. And it doesn't have to be that way.
0: Yeah. What you shared is just so powerful on so many levels. I always encourage people listening to think, to listen, not only from one lens of what Patty just shared, but also look at it from the the higher perspective. Like that's something I've always admired about you, Patty is how well, you know, the people that you serve and how much you've studied them and what's going through their head. So would just encourage anybody, if you got to hit that back, skip 30 seconds, a few times to just re-listen, you can re-listen from that lens of yes, that is who Patty serves, but also thinking about how could you apply that? How can you be reading your customers' minds and telling the stories that that are um, you know, the, the concepts that are kind of inside of their heads? And so I think that's so beautiful. And I love that story so much. And I, I would love to talk a little bit about beating the broken cookie effect uh, a little bit. But before we get there, there's another kind of like level of Patty I want to I wanna share with everyone. Cause another thing that stood out inside of the book that I love so much is you had you you also had a uh, challenging but fruitful experience of growing a business while being a single mom, and and you had a you had a single goal as being a, a, a mom of raising good human beings. So, I would love for you to share a little bit about that, and I think that actually ties directly into what you were talking about the broken cookie effect. But just add a little bit of color about uh, of your experience growing your business and and raising good human beings. <laughs>
1: Sure. I'm going to step back just a little bit to talk about a concept that I've also been able to put words to, and that's called the good girl's dilemma.
2: Mm.
1: I grew up as a good girl. I still am a good girl, although I like to think I'm a good girl with a lot of awareness, maybe an ex good girl, (laughs) but you know, a good girl grows up and does what she's quote supposed to do. I was supposed to grow up, get my education, get married, have kids, raise my family. If I had a career, that was kind of a bonus, but it really wasn't expected. And whereas my brothers, there's a lot of pressure put on them because they were raised to be breadwinners. So I did all the things I was supposed to do. And all of a sudden, I'm 35 years old. I have three little kids at home. My youngest was two. and I have a surprise divorce. And my world turned upside down. At that time, I had a business as a political consultant and a lobbyist. I loved it. It was fascinating and I'd never do it again. (laughs) But, and the political arena is as ugly as you can imagine it is, or you might even know that it is. And I was one of very few female lobbyists. I had a lot, there was a lot of sexual discrimination and harassment and so it was, it was um, only something I could tolerate for a particular period of time. I had that business for about eight years. The biggest challenge I had was that my revenue was tied to the election cycle. So when I was doing political consulting and there was an election coming up, the fees were great right? The pay was good. The um, candidates would seek me out. And I did a lot of campaign strategy and training, especially communications training. And so although I loved it, I needed to even out my revenue. And if there were resources to help me figure out how to do that, I didn't know where to find those resources. And I didn't know who to trust and again in the political arena you don't trust anybody so that was a kind of a built-in problem and I figured out that if I added lobbying which I was doing informally if I made it more formal then I would have income round year-round so the trade-off for adding the lobbying was travel and once I realized that I was headed towards a divorce, I had to stop the travel because I knew that I needed to stabilize things for my kids.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: So that was um, that was a huge turning point for me making the decision to close my business and get a job because I needed health insurance and I needed a steady paycheck and I needed to be home. Mm-hmm. So that goes back to what you were saying about Stabilizing things for my kids and raising good human beings. And as long as I kept that in perspective, everything else could be dealt with, hmm. right? If we were healthy and stable, everything else could be dealt with. I was concerned that I would be on my own financially, logistically, emotionally, and I was. And so that gave me very much uh, focus and purpose. And I, had in this interim plan, I worked for an international school, first as director of development, handling fundraising, public relations and marketing, and then became director of operations, was there for almost nine years. And that was wonderful, because it did exactly what I needed it to do in terms of stabilizing things for my family. And it was also a wonderful environment, you know, I'm around kids and their families, and it was a wonderful environment and had a lot of responsibility and learned a ton. And while I was there, I was planning the block group, which I started in 2006. And so that window allowed my kids to get older and more independent. It allowed me to stabilize things and then to have some savings so that I could start my company. So that was the strategy that I used. It worked really well. And um, it was a very difficult time for me and I wouldn't wish that on anyone, but I had to be there to get here
0: and here is fabulous. Hmm. <laughs> That's so beautiful on so many levels, but it's funny because I, I recently encountered a question that really shook things up for me. But the, the question was something along the lines of like, imagine you're on your deathbed and they someone asks you, did you have a successful life? And you respond yes. And the follow up question to that is, what were the three to five things that you did during your life to make that happen. Um, And, and as that question was asked to me, I came up with several things and I had never clearly defined what success was to me on that level until that was posed to me. And it was just, as I was hearing you speak, I've, you know, one of the most important things for me as success, it's first loving and developing a deep relationship with myself, which is goes into your whole broken cookie effect. But then second to that is being an incredible husband to my wife, Leah. Third is being an incredible father. I don't even have kids at this time of recording, but like that's super important to me. Um, And then fourth is living in alignment with my core values and purpose. And fifth is, Um, being grateful and present in in any given moment. And so I, I, I just wanted to share that because I clearly sensed that you had some guiding principles that helped you to be an incredible mom and provide that life for your kids while also setting you up to build what you eventually wanted to build and find that level of alignment. So you obviously were tossed lots of balls to juggle at once, but you kind of like took a deep breath and you did it in a way that with a guiding principle, it seemed like a raising good human beings. And that, uh, as you kind of say in the book, like everything else kind of, uh, took care of itself when you had that as your guiding principle. So that's just beautiful. Thank you. Yeah. So, so let's expand a little bit more because we've talked about the broken cookie effect, And I kind of just alluded to a little bit about, um, you know, prioritizing yourself first. And this is something you also talk about in your book, which by the way, is your hidden advantage, unlock the power to attract right fit clients and boost your revenue. We'll have that all linked up in the show notes. I just read it recently. And so we'll obviously be diving more and more into it as much as we've already kind of alluded to some of the stuff, but, but, talk about a little bit about beating the broken cookie effect. Cause I talked about like your mom only ate the crumbs and we just talked a little bit about your family and putting your, your kids first. And I think lots of people, especially good girls, the people that you've described, like they, they feel like they need to eat the broken cookie pieces. Like I have to let my kids eat first, but you talk a little bit differently about that. So we'd love for you to talk about how we can beat the broken cookie effect and why we should be eating the whole cookie.
1: (laughs) Sure. You know, the good girl's dilemma is really about when you get the gut punch, when something happens in your life that maybe you're caught off guard, maybe it's very painful, maybe it's something wonderful, but something happens that changes your trajectory. And when we're young, we think life is gonna be a straight line, and it never is. It isn't for anyone that I've ever met, and it wasn't for me. So I don't wanna say I put my kids first, I put myself first, although it took me a while to get there because again, as the good girl, you put everyone else first, everyone else gets the whole cookie. So what I realized is unless I'm healthy mentally and physically, it's really hard for my kids to cope with whatever they need to deal with.
2: Mm -hmm.
1: I have to be there for them. I have to tune into their needs. And in order to do that, I have to take care of myself. So that has been uh, not only a foundational principle for me, but also in my business and in what I share, of course, in the book and with my clients, that if you have staff, if you have clients you care about, which all of my clients do, then taking care of yourself, which includes Working with the people who really appreciate you, who understand your value, who you love to work with, getting that sense of fulfillment from your work, and pricing appropriately so that it recognizes the value that you're really bringing to your clients, and you can learn to talk about that. That's the hardest thing for us as women, is we feel like we're bragging, and I'm based in Texas, and we have a saying here, it's not bragging if it's true. <laughs> and the women that I work with are experts in their field. They're high achieving, highly educated experts. And I work with a lot of accountants and attorneys and engineers and specialty consultants. And there's one thing they are, it's they're experts, they they care deeply about those around them. And so I want to remind people that the broken cookie effect exists, it's real. And just because you recognize it doesn't mean you can stop doing it. Hmm. And that takes practice. And that's actually why I wrote the book because there's a, a framework that I've built called the SNAP method. And that will allow you to practice how you can take care of yourself at the same time as you're making your business more profitable.
0: Hmm. So much value in what you just shared there. But I think like something that you just shared that clicked for me, and I think is a, a powerful realization is that it's not like you just solve the broken cookie effect and it immediately evaporates. It's a constant decision that you're making to make sure that you're prioritizing. And a lot goes into making sure that you're putting yourself first like you said, there's just so many layers to what you talk about. It, it depends on your pricing, the people that you're working with. Like those are all ways of actually putting yourself first because it's like, if you're designing a business around all these variables that make you miserable, it's not going to serve you and then it's not going to serve your family and all the other people that you work. So, so, so good uh, that you did that. And let's, let's unpack some of that because there's so much value in your book on helping people to actually do that. And and it's interesting actually, before we go into the snap uh, method, which I, I think is going to be super valuable for people, I kind of want to just set a one more foundational concept about why the book is called Your Hidden Advantage um, in the sense that, let me just ask that. And I have one actually, one more follow-up beyond that. But why did you title it Your Hidden Advantage? And what was some of the thinking behind that?
1: You know, I mentioned a few minutes ago about not having language. And I've experienced that. Not having the language that I needed to express pain or joy or... um, And I think that's a really common problem, especially for women, that, again, how we're raised, often we, we don't talk about ourselves and we don't learn how to do that. So one of the things, and I, I think the real key to the SNAP system is that communication piece. And it's like any muscle that you need to exercise. One of the things I realized after all these years in business is the work that I really do deep down is helping women find their hidden advantage. And that could, it will be different for every person. But the basis of it is how you understand your own value and how you help others understand that. Hmm. That underpinning is Hmm. how you can discover what your hidden advantage is. And I'll give you an example. Years ago, I went through an exercise that I often recommend, which is you sit down with a um, a peer, someone that knows you well, knows your business, you know them and their business. And maybe you're at the same stage of business. You sit down and you each write down what you think is valuable about the other person or the other person's business. And they do that for you. And then you exchange. And I really... Love this exercise because 100% of the time, you will be surprised. People will pick up on things that are valuable that you would never have thought of. So for me, when I did this exercise years ago, one of the things that came up is that I'm always calm and I have a very calming voice. Now, again, I would never have put that on my list Mm -hmm. because I just don't think about myself that way. And then I started testing it. And as I started talking with clients and colleagues and asking them, they all said, oh yeah, absolutely. I love listening to your voice (laughs) and you're so calm and I know I can call you. And even if I'm freaked out, you're going to help me gain perspective and help me remain calm so I can make a good decision. So to some extent, that's my hidden advantage, but it's hidden, whether it's hidden from myself, whether it's hidden from others, and that's. The mission that I have is to help other women find their hidden advantage and then leverage it. Hmm.
0: You know, it's funny because I have I have one quote that always came up on the show that I, when I say come up, I think my listeners probably make fun of me because it's like I force it everywhere just because I see it everywhere. So like the original one was until you make the unconscious conscious, it will control your life and you will call it fate. It's That's Carl Jung. And the other one that that is just so prevalent in my life that I love so much is by Michelangelo. And the quote is, I saw the angel in the marble and I carved until I set him free. And I just think that like all this stuff that you're talking about, it's like, it's my favorite work to do on myself. Cause it's like, if I'm the block of marble, how do I carve away? What is isn't me? How do I find those hidden advantages? And the beauty about the human species is that you can't do it by yourself. You need other people to show you what you can't see because you can't read the label from inside the jar, you know? And I know you talk about that in that in, in the book as well, but You actually alluded to something that I think is something you talk about in the book, but it's also just, it's been transformational for me because I think it's an inherent human tendency. For some reason, when someone gives you a compliment, you kind of deflect it. You're like, oh, thank you. You know, and then you just move on to the next thing. It's just like, you see it everywhere. But what someone shared with me that kind of helped me reframe with this is like, when someone gives you a compliment treat it like they're handing you a gift. Like they they literally just handed you a gift, a perspective of something that you didn't see. And oftentimes we take that gift and we just chuck it in the garbage and say, okay, thanks, you know, that that's great. And we don't even let it really sink in. But you alluded to people sharing with you and you hearing other people say, you know, Patty, you have a really calming voice. You have a calming demeanor and that really helps support me. And you talk about in the book of one of the ways to, to kind of uncover your hidden advantages to, not dismiss compliments. So we'd love for you to share and maybe expand on that a little bit more and how you've seen it to help your clients.
1: You bet. And I'm going to take that one step further. I agree with your premise that every compliment is a gift and so is critical feedback. A hundred percent. And people often have a hard time, especially women, especially good girls. We have a hard time accepting the compliment or even believing it. Mm, mm. So that's some of the time that you mentioned it gets thrown away, it's because we aren't open to receiving that or believing it. So that's part of the work, the personal work that we all have to do is to be receptive to that. But that's also true when a client asks you a question, that is not a criticism. They're asking a question and often we take that personally and that scuttles what we're trying to accomplish. So I would say, I would add to what you've said so beautifully, that feedback is also a gift. And if you can avoid taking it personally and be open to what you're learning, it can change everything in your business. It can change everything in your life. Mm. So that's the other thing I would add to that, uh, being accepting of compliments of how others perceive you you have a reputation, your business does, you do, whether you like it or not. Mm. And a lot of people allow that reputation to happen by accident because we're not consciously planning. We're not thinking about how are people perceiving us. So a lot of the work that I do and the communication skills that I teach focus on that piece of how do you want to be perceived? What's important to you? most of us if not all of us want to be perceived as honest and ethical and working with integrity and kind and we want all these things but you you can set the stage for that
0: mm-hmm.
1: by using language and communicating in a way that helps people perceive you in a particular way
0: mm-hmm hundred percent. And as, as you were talking, I just couldn't help but think, and I'll give a little bit of a plug to, to Michael Roderick here. I think I mentioned his name earlier, but that's how Patty and I met is because we were in a group together, put by Michael Roderick, who's an incredible just Michael's incredible human being. Go listen to that episode I did with him because he talks about packaging intellectual property. But that's one of the things I've respected so much in being Patty's thought partner in Michael's group is is Patty is very open to giving and receiving feedback. And like, that's just super powerful when you can be around other people that are willing to just, Sometimes just putting it bluntly to call you out on your bullshit. Sometimes you like you're 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 sharing something and they're just like, you, you know, I don't see that, or it doesn't resonate with me. And I think that was just super powerful about the experience from my perspective that Patty and I went through with Michael. It's just like we were amongst peers, we were amongst friends that were willing to just call you out on, you know, hey, like that didn't resonate with me, or like, you know, you're not you're not really showcasing what you really are talking about here and turning that up and, or toning it down or whatever it is. And so um, it was super cool. (laughs) That's the other reason why I was so excited to read your book is because I got to kind of see how that was shaped as a result of, of Michael's group. So anyways, there's just kind of a hidden plug for, (laughs) for Michael and what we experienced, but let's, let's continue expanding on the snap method because you, you talked about it before. Uh, I think, I'm sure people are really curious about it. So, if you're listening, just kind of as a synthesis, like if you decide to take the whole cookie, if you want to build a business that unlocks your hidden advantage, that's in alignment with you, that allows you to pri- prioritize the important stuff, Patty's developed a system called the SNAP method that will help you to incorporate this. Um, and obviously you you most of your work is serving women, but I found so much value in going through this myself uh, just because of, of what you help people see. So maybe give a high level overview of what SNAP stands for, and then we can maybe pick apart some of the cool elements inside of all of it.
1: SNAP stands for Stop Believing the Myths, Narrow Your Focus, Assess Your Value, and Practice Your Power, S-N-A-P, as in Ginger Snap, hmm. And the idea behind it is that formulas don't work. So what I realized in my first company as a political consultant is I really didn't know how to price or sell. That was not my background or experience. I was a really good political consultant, but started, I started taking courses to learn how to price, how to sell. I've taken so many over the years, it's almost laughable. And <laughs> you hear different things from different people, different experts and different gurus, and, and everybody's telling you you're doing it wrong. It doesn't mean you're doing it wrong. It means you may not have all the resources you need. And I started to realize, no offense, but a lot of, especially the sales programs, were designed by men for men. Mm -hmm. They worked really well, in some cases, for guys, but they didn't work for women. And I know that because I employed them. I tried those methods. I tried those formulas, use this script, do it this way follow this pattern. And it just wasn't working for me. When I started this company, I quickly realized it wasn't working for my clients either. And they were doing a wide variety of different methods, especially for sales, and feeling very frustrated. So I developed the sales method that I believe works better for women business owners, which is much more like matchmaking. And it's more about relationship building. And Often, especially for experts, we get referrals, introductions, or we find our leads through speaking engagements. And so I wanted to optimize where we're already finding our leads by teaching a framework, not a formula. Hmm. And so that's part of this idea of the SNAP system is using it as a guide. It's a framework but it's not gonna tell you use this script or use this copy in your email because you need to use your own voice. Now, here's the challenge. What if you don't know what your voice is? Mm -hmm. What if you don't know what you really want? You only understand what you should want, right? So I'm gonna give you an example. Right now, the primary measure of business success is scaling, getting bigger. Most of my clients don't want to get bigger. And when you get bigger, you have a whole new set of problems, right? Because now you have more staff, you have more clients, you have more processes and needs for your accounting, and you need more resources. So that can actually eat into your profit, and you won't be more profitable. You just have a lot more problems. Mm -hmm. Scaling works for some companies, but it depends on what you want. So what if you don't know if you what you want or what your voice is or how to attract people who really understand the value you bring? So yeah. that is the problem I'm addressing. When I talk about beating the broken cookie effect, it's not about putting everyone else last. It's not about being less kind or less giving. It's about understanding who you are, what you want, and how you're going to communicate that. And when you have that fundamental piece in place, using the SNAP system, and you practice it, then you'll, first of all, things get so much easier. Because you don't have to freak out every time you have a new prospect come to you because you have to figure out how do you talk to them? What do you say? How do you help them understand that they should work with you? All of that anxiety and that panic, that sense of panic that you might feel is alleviated because you have a system, you have a method of moving your company forward towards your own personal goals, And one of the things I talk about a lot is learn to run your company your way, Hmm. because it doesn't really matter what other people are doing, your clients, your competitors, your colleagues, really doesn't matter what everyone else is doing. It only matters what you want, what you're doing, and the consistency with which you're doing that.
0: Hmm. So powerful. I, I, I just... I'm going to ha- like, I always love listening to these interviews because I know I'm going to go re-listen to them because like it's, it's so I, I can hear hello future self of me re-listening to Patty. Cause that was so, so good. <laughs> I, I would love for you to expand a little bit more on, on the snap method. And I know we don't have all the time in the world to go through that, but I think you kind of planted seeds and alluded to lots of what you're doing is just helping you to build on a foundation of what you really want. And like answering that question is super, super intimidating. So part of I think what I observed from the book and what you're talking about, it's like it's also, it's as much as it is what you want, it's also what you. It's, it's going against some of the programming that's kind of running in the back of our heads that like what we what we thought we were supposed to want and and in your book you talk about like overcoming some of the false foundations that were planted in our heads and some of these beliefs that we have that are kind of underlying that and I love that you work from the mindset perspective first so in the, in the beginning the first s stop believing the myths. What are some of the ways that we can kind of uncover maybe some of those beliefs that we have that are holding us back so that we can build from that foundation that you were just talking about?
1: Well, the first step to any change, personal or business, is awareness. So if you're not aware that you struggle with the broken cookie effect, if you're not aware that you believe certain things about money, about how you spend money or bring in money, how you, um, you know, one of the very common frustrations that women struggle with is feeling greedy if they charge more. That's a belief that I'm somehow not a good person if I charge more. I'm not being fair to my prospect or my client. And that's a false foundation. If you believe that, then you're really not pricing for value. And if that's the case, what you're communicating, both verbally and silently, is that maybe they should question the value. And we don't ever want anyone to question our value. So remember that you may be sending silent messages, kind of those subliminal messages, in addition to what you're Talking about in your business. So, stop believing the myths sounds simple. And it is the hardest of the four steps. It's also why it's the first step, because it's the book. And what I talk about is to raise awareness of some of these beliefs that you've had since you were a child. In most cases, they're very ingrained in us. And then it impacts what we can do in our lives and our businesses. And I'll give you another example. A lot of us that are experts have been raised on the hourly billing model. And it's kind of drilled into us as we start our careers, especially because I work with a lot of accountants and attorneys. Mm -hmm. And that is a huge problem because the service that you're providing to your clients is likely transformational and you want it to have a lot of impact. That's why we do what we do. And you're providing a transformational service, but you're charging in a transactional way. Mm. So there's a disconnect.
0: There's straight incongruency from the very beginning.
1: Exactly. And not only is there a disconnect for you, but there's a disconnect for your buyer and They may wonder, you know, it's a kind of um, think about it as as humans, we often believe that high price equates with high value, and low price equates with low value. I often use the retail example of Walmart, Macy's, and Neiman Marcus, and you can buy a blouse in all three stores, but which woman shops in which store depends on what she thinks is important, how much Mm -hmm. money she has to spend. And I'm generally a Macy shopper, but if I were buying something for a wedding or some special event, I might shop at Neiman Marcus because I put extra importance on whatever that event is. Mm
2: -hmm.
1: So that is very much what we're doing with the pricing in our business is if you're pricing hourly and you haven't cracked the code of how to price for value, your hidden advantage can really help you because I give you those first steps of how you can think differently and then ultimately operate differently so that you start to understand your value better and your pricing accordingly.
0: Super powerful. And again, I've said this several times, but if if what Patty is saying is resonating with you, we're going to make sure that this is coming out when Patty's book comes out. So go grab your hidden advantage. If you want to uncover all the steps behind this, obviously this is just the high level and it's already so juicy, but if you want Patty's thinking exercises and the questions you can ask yourself and like the conversations you can have to help uncover these, make sure you go uh, and grab a copy with that. But let's, let's keep going on the, the snap model at a, at a high level. So let's say someone does the work. They kind of Understand what they want. Maybe they've had some of those conversations and realize what some of their limiting beliefs are. The next step in your system is narrow your focus. And I just want to everyone to just realize how your. Her, you're, you're speaking in terms of mastery because this entire time you've been talking to your ideal buyer, like the, the, the people that are the buyers in this audience right now, it's resonated with you because Patty's developed language and has very clear understanding about who it is that she can serve and um, you know really make an impact on their lives and the the world that whole because of the way that they show up at their lives differently because of you do that. So talk a little bit about the importance of narrowing your focus and getting really clear on who it is that you serve.
1: A lot of times when you have a small business and a small business is anything under, well, technically anything under 50 million in annual Mm -hmm. revenue, but most of the companies that I work are solopreneurs or they have a small staff, sometimes contractors, sometimes employees, but usually between, I don't know, three and 15 employees. So these are small companies. They don't really want to get bigger. They want to be more profitable. They also want their revenue to be steady and predictable. And when you price for value, that is much easier to achieve than when you're pricing either hourly or you're pricing at a set rate, but it's too low. It's artificially low. And that makes it very difficult to be profitable. So narrow your focus is the the problem we often struggle with. Is what i call the hope factor and that is think back to when you were first dating and anyone who expressed interest in you you thought they were quote the one (laughs) right we all did that's the hope factor is we think that every buyer who comes to us is an ideal buyer and if they're not we can change them just (laughs) like we thought we could change that person we were dating back in high school (laughs) If they didn't fit everything that we thought was ideal. And because of that, and again, women fall into this trap very frequently, because of that, when we have buyers who come to us, well, first, let me say there are several problems with that. One is if you only have buyers who come to you and you're not reaching out to potential buyers, then it's that difference between inbound and outbound, and you're really limiting who you're working with and how long you work with them and the lifetime value of your clients. So most of the people, when I start working with them, they only have an inbound effort. They're waiting for the phone to ring. Mm -hmm. Then we make the mistake of believing that every buyer is an ideal buyer. And if there are red flags, warnings, we either ignore them or we rationalize them away just like we did with the kid in high school, Hmm. right? Oh, that person's really not so bad. Yes. I know. They stood me up for this date, but you know, they couldn't help it and you start making excuses and you do that with your buyers as well. So again, awareness, being aware that you might not be working with the people you can, who can benefit the most and who you love working with. Hmm. So, Narrow your focus is all about defining your ideal buyer. And I'm going to qualify this, not your ideal client, because I believe that an ideal client does not happen by accident. You find ideal buyers that fit your criteria and you take them on a journey. And that's part of what I teach in my painless selling to ideal buyers program which is a sales program that I think is such a good fit for women because it's more like matchmaking.
2: Hmm. So
1: when you take your ideal buyer on this journey and they become a client, then when you're in the onboarding process and getting started with that client, you have the opportunity to help them understand how to become an ideal client. Hmm. And it's an important distinction in my mind because so few people do that. And So I outline in the book why that's important and how to go about handling that differently and really being careful about who you end up working with, how long you work with them. And because there may be red flags that show up after you've taken them as a client, like they call you after hours, even though you've made it clear that you have business hours and it's in your email signature and you send messages that help them understand that and they're calling you at nine o'clock at night. It's an opportunity for you to course correct and to help them understand you are welcome to call me, but I don't answer calls. So I would get back with you first thing in the morning. And if they continue doing it and being, in my opinion, disrespectful, that's a red flag. Hmm. So then how long do you tolerate that? right? And so all of those pieces is about narrowing your focus to work with the people who will benefit the most, who you love working with, and where you know you're making the biggest impact.
0: Mm. So, so good, Patty. Like, okay, so here's, this is something that is a recent pattern that's clicked in my brain. I don't know if this interview will come before or after this conversation, but I interviewed this guy named Justin Breen, and he's got a brilliant brain but like one of the things that I observed from him and I I shared this with him it was kind of like my synthesis of like what he was doing and it's very similar to what you're doing is like I said to Justin I was like you have created black and white decisions so that you can live a world of color because what he's done is he set up all these parameters for who he serves who he does who he doesn't talk to down to I don't know if you even know this Patty have you taken the Colby before the yes. it's a personality so he doesn't talk to any or he doesn't bring on clients that are at least us that everybody has to be a seven or higher quick start that's the level of sophistication that he has is like if they're not a seven or higher quick start like they're most likely not going to take action so like i just don't work with them so black and white decision but like his two things are like my success is connecting with visionary founders and spending time with my family he's like and he's just set up this whole world where it's just very simple clear-cut Questions that he answers in his brain 24 seven that filters his world to focus on the two things that are most important for him. And as you're talking about narrowing your focus and hearing your language, that's exactly what you're doing as well as you've set up all these parameters about how people should be behaving with you as a client. Like what are some of the red flags? And I can't help, but get a little squirmy about thinking about some of the hope things that I've been doing in my own brain about some justification. Cause like, cause you're talking about that, I'm like shit, I was doing that the other day. <laughs> so uh, thank you for for shedding light on that. And now I have a supreme awareness on that. And I think you probably made a bunch of other light bulbs go off. So um, I know we're kind of coming up on time, Patty. Maybe what we can do, if it's okay with you, we'll talk a little bit about pricing, um, which, which you talk about in your assessment value component. will leave people a little bit on a cliffhanger. So they have to go check out the book. Is it? Do you have a few more minutes to talk about pricing?
1: <laughs> you bet.
0: Okay. So so one of the things that you talk about in the book is everything in your business flows from pricing. I highlighted that. And I think that that's so, so cool. So we'd love for you to share a little bit about that and maybe a high level of some of the biggest mistakes you see people making when it comes to pricing their products and services.
1: Sure. Uh, pricing is one of my favorite things to talk about because it is... Uh, there are traps that we fall into. So for example, a lot of times when you started your company, you set your pricing and then you set it and forget it because you've got lots of other important things to think about. And it just seems easier just to leave your pricing alone and sell to more people. And that's what I call the myth of more because the more you do that, the deeper you're digging. So you're bringing in more clients but you may be less profitable for each client. You may need to add staff to help you support those extra clients, which eats into your profit. So it's a vicious circle of, I need more and more clients, but you haven't fixed your pricing. Hmm. So the way I approach it, so as I mentioned, a lot of people are still using hourly billing. That's the first thing we need to change. And there are many different models that I think work great for experts who are providing a service. And I outline them in the book. I talk about those different models and how I give examples of how you can use them. They, that only works if you do the first two steps of the SNAP system, right? You can change your pricing, but if you haven't changed how you think mm. and you haven't narrowed your focus, Just changing your pricing is probably not going to get you where you want to go. Mm. So it's really important in my view that you follow all of these. The last part of that is practice your power, which is all about business communications, because again, it doesn't help you to change your pricing if in the moment you offer a discount that nobody asked for, Mm. right? You feel skittish about it and you want this client because you want the revenue or Maybe there's some status in having this particular client. So you rationalize away all the red flags and work towards getting this client, no matter what that takes, including lowering your pricing or giving a discount. Hmm. And so those are some of the traps we fall into. And that's a lack of confidence. When you have language around what you're trying to express the value that you really bring, the kinds of results you get for your clients, why working with you is so beneficial. When you have language around all of that, which is practice your power, the, the pricing, you feel more confident, you understand your value better, so you don't feel as though you need to offer a discount. And almost all the time, it is not about the money. People who come to you who can't afford to work with you, my suggestion is that you have places you can refer them. You can still help them. And I do that all the time. A lot of times companies come to me in their are too early stage. They've only been in business for a year, let's say. And they haven't been generating enough revenue to even support their business. In that case, sometimes they're too early stage for me to make the biggest impact with them, mm-hmm. which is another reason I wrote the book, because I, my hope is that I can reach more women business owners because I believe my message is critically important so they can get to that point where they have steady, consistent revenue, and then they figure out what they want. They figure out their hidden advantage, and they are able to become more successful very quickly. So going back to pricing, if you just fix your pricing, you're not going to get the results you want. Hmm. So, And again, I'm not saying that because I love the SNAP system, although I do love the SNAP system. I'm saying that because I've experienced it and I've seen it in all the years i worked with women business owners. That's why I developed a four-step process. Because all four pieces fit together like a puzzle. And forgive the pun, but they snap together.
0: Yeah. Right? And and it works like a snap. <laughs> it works like a
1: snap. And so that pricing piece, while I love talking about it, and it's super important, it's not the first step in the process, mm. right? It's changing how you think, what you believe, exercising that muscle, and then making sure you're working with the people you want to work with and then looking at your pricing, because the audience you select to work with or that you wanna reach out to, they have a conception of what it should cost to work with you, everybody does. Um, That sometimes keeps people from approaching you because they may think in their own mind, oh, I bet he's too expensive or I can't afford to work with him or he wouldn't take a client like me. All of those things keep us from even reaching out. Mm-hmm. But in the case that we do reach out, we have certain expectations. And that's why when your pricing is artificially low, people will start to question that. And they'll get comparative bids from other companies and they'll, they'll wonder, why is this company pricing so much lower? They must not be worth what I think they are. And maybe they're not the resource for me even though it's less expensive. Mm -hmm. So it's a complex system, which of course is why I call it the snap system. It's a complex system that works together to help you become aware, figure out how you can change how you operate. And then again, work with the right people, but price appropriately for what they expect and for the kinds of results you're going to
0: get. Well, there you go, ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, that was a high level overview of the snap system. Stop believing the myths, narrow your focus, assess your value and practice your power. And man, they're like so, so much that like we didn't get a chance to get into, which is just the function of only having a a specific time in for the interview, but just would encourage anyone to go pick up the book and, and maybe read about Patty's deeper insights on pricing, how you can drive sales with pricing and kind of expand on that. Um, And the different types of pricing Patty outlines. The different ways that you can think about pricing and and do it in a way that's your way, kind of like talking about what we alluded to before about making sure that it is in alignment with your hidden advantage in the way that you build things. So Patty, this has been so incredible, so much fun. A question I love to ask guests as we wrap things up that's kind of going to be a non sequitur, <laughs> but I would love to I would love to understand what your definition of happiness means to you today, Patty. What is happiness for Patty?
1: It's a couple of things. It is having an impact. It is sharing my message in a way that changes people's lives, not just their businesses. And that's what I've seen. That's been my experience with my clients, that it changes their lives. So for me, that makes me so incredibly happy. And I'm so grateful for the work that I get to do. The other thing that makes me so happy is time with my family and I'm expecting my first grandchild, mm. so I'm so excited. I can't even tell you how much time I spent figuring out what my grandma name is,
0: so, mm. which is really <laughs> a thing. So what is it? What is it? <laughs> Nana. Nana. It's going to be okay. Nana.
1: And, and it's really important because every grandchild will call me that for the rest of my life. So yeah. to me, that is really important. So having that time to spend with my family, understanding their needs and And being available, being there for them is um, it's very special to me. I have a very close extended family and um, it was very heartwarming to see when my mom passed away that we all came together and worked together to plan her memorial service and figure out how we needed to move forward because it was such a shock. And my daughter, who's the one having the grandchild, uh, suggested that she said, you know, Grandma wouldn't want us to wear black at the funeral. And I said, you're right, she wouldn't. Mm. And my daughter said, we should all wear bright colors, especially turquoise, because that was Grandma's favorite color. Mm. And I love the idea so much. Not only did everyone in our family wear bright colors and turquoise and purples, and but I put it in the obituary. And a lot of the people who attended wore bright colors. And that was to celebrate her life because she was so vivacious and loving and always wore bright colors. Mm -hmm. So that kind of thing makes me so happy. It's so heartwarming to me and meaningful.
0: Just came full circle. Uh, So beautiful. Love is the only thing that multiplies when divided. And I think that that's not only something that was your mom's motto, but something that you're continuing to live out in the way that you serve clients. And I think that, you know, just what that quote says, it's like when you love yourself um, and it expands deeper beyond that and the people that you serve and it just, everything comes full circle. So that was so beautiful. Patty, we've obviously talked about how anybody can grab your hidden advantage. We'll have that linked up on uh, the show notes if they want to explore the topics in the book. But besides that, where can people find out more about you and all the incredible stuff that you're up to?
1: theblockgroup.net is my website theblockgroup.net and i'd like to offer your audience a free quiz that will help with this awareness and it's called myrevenueroadblocks.com myrevenueroadblocks.com and when you fill out the the quiz you will get a report that will talk about what what some of the myths are that you might be experiencing And what are some of the first steps that you can take to beat the broken cookie effect?
0: Hmm. Beautiful. Well, you heard it everyone, blockgroup.net or myrevenueroadblocks.com if you wanna take that quiz or grab a copy of the book. And man, I'm just so excited and grateful for you being here and Patty for your time today, but I'm just gonna have a conversation with you listening right now. I just wanna say you could be, Anywhere else on the planet right now. Maybe you're washing dishes or maybe you're on a treadmill right now. Whatever it is, you you chose to do whatever you're doing and listen to this very episode. And for that, I'm so grateful for your time and your attention and for being here. And I I say this at the end of every, every episode, and I, I don't want it to become something that I just say because I say it at the end of every episode, but podcasts have changed my life. Seriously. Like when somebody has shared a good episode with good content, with good stories, like it's, I would not be the person that I am today if it weren't for podcasting. That's why I'm so grateful to contribute to the space, but there's absolutely stuff that Patty has shared today that has the power to change someone's life. There there's whether it was the quote in the beginning, um, from, from Patty's mom, or some of the stories about the broken cookie effect, or some of the mindset we talked about or the snap method, there's something in here that has that power. And so, uh, my ask for you listening is if you were listening to this and you thought of a friend that you would share this with them because it can absolutely transform their life. Um, But whether you choose to do that or not, again, I just thank you so much for being here and for hanging out with us today. And Patty, any final things you want to say before we head off for today?
1: I want to thank you for having me today. This has been wonderful.
0: Thank you, Patty. And I'm looking forward to continue the conversation. We'll probably be talking in a a few weeks.
1: (laughs) Thank you.